0: tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought, and pursue another course. Webster's. Everyone and welcome to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. If this is your first time listening to the show, we'd like to thank you for downloading and listening. And if this isn't your first time the show, we'd like to thank you for coming back. And for you first timers, here's the premise of the show: We talk about comics, specifically the comics relating to the Tangent Universe, an offshoot DC comic series that dealt with completely original characters with very familiar names. And this time in our coverage, we're looking at our first returning group of characters from the original run of the Tangent books, the mysterious magical operatives of Nightwing, in their new comic entitled Nightwing, Nightforce. Yeah, <laughs> if, that, if that title doesn't just scream 90s comics, then the artwork inside definitely will. And once again, to accompany me, Sean Engel, into this superlative story today is my trench coated Techdomancer friend, Mr. Michael Bradley. How's it going, Michael? Hey, everybody. Yep, uh, well, I'm looking forward to doing this nightwing. Mean, you know, it's it's our first look into some characters that uh, we covered in the first run of mm-hmm. tangent books, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they advanced. And uh, we've also got the same writer and same artist back in the books, so there should be some cohesive nature through it. So I'm looking forward to covering these.
1: Yeah, this and the next, uh, I think three episodes actually are going to be revisiting concepts. From the first wave of books, so like you said, it'd be it'd be fun to kind of dig back into some of those and and uh, get more adventures or kind of the next chapter in their various Mm -hmm. adventures.
0: Yeah, like I've said, like we've said before, it's kind of upsetting that these characters really didn't get. Fleshed out all that much aside from some of them, except for the initial issue. So that we're getting to see more of these characters and get to see them develop more is really great. And this, the second, the second wave of I mean, them, it's, it's nice to see some of the characters from the original wave come back.
1: Mm-hmm. But don't worry because there is no second Sea Devils issue.
0: Oh, uh, that's that's disappointing because I really wanted <laughs> to find out what happened to Redfin.
1: Oh, but you might that's a good segue. You might have your chance because we talked. Was it last episode or the episode before?
0: I think it was – I think it might have been on the last episode, either on the Wonder Woman one or or the Superman one. I think we kind of mentioned it, yeah.
1: But DC has announced their big summer crossover, which is called Convergence, and the Tangent characters will be playing a part in that uh, mega epic crossover story. Uh, For those who maybe didn't miss or who who did miss that episode or have been living under a rock – The the premise of the series is there's going to be a nine-issue main series, and then there will be 42-issue miniseries that kind of offshoot from that and spotlight different characters. And the series will bring together uh, characters from all different DC universes, uh, Elseworlds, Post-Crisis, Pre-Crisis, New 52, the the Flashpoint stuff, and just see how they interact and, and, and... undoubtedly fight, because that's what comic characters do. Uh, But they have (laughs) announced three books that will feature tangent characters. So we thought we would uh, just go through those real quick. They haven't released um, any... Price points or or even release dates yet. We know it's going to be be coming over the summer, April and May, but we don't know actual release dates. So, you know, just keep an eye on the uh, the Facebook page or or future episodes here, and we'll we'll talk about that when they announce it. But the first, see if I can pull this up again. The first book is The Flash, which is written by Dan Abnett. The artist is Federico Dalocchio, and the colorist is Veronica Gandini, and the solicitation information reads as such. Trapped in Gotham, Barry Allen has nowhere to run. He fights on, seeking justice as well as a way to save the city. But he faces a tangent universe foe that thinks faster than the Flash could ever move.
0: Now I'm kind of wondering where. See, this is one of the things that I'm glad they're bringing back the tangent characters in this crossover event.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the one kind of negative thing is they always seem to put the tangent characters as foes to the superheroes and these things. And that, you know, I, I like I said, I haven't read Super, Superman's Reign, but we're eventually going to be covering that. And I'm wondering if some way the tangent characters are sort of foes to the DC universe characters, but. You know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what it is. I'm kind of wondering if this is going to be the uh, the Flash from the Tangent universe working against the Flash in the DC universe, working against Barry Allen. Uh-huh. It, it'd be interesting. You know, they kind of tease that it's a, a character that thinks faster than the Flash could ever move. So you might think a character who's basically made of light might be a character to do that. Uh, of course, you know, there could also be it could also be the Superman as well. That's so what I was
1: thinking, too. Yeah.
0: It's, but, it should be interesting.
1: But if it is the Flash, they could do a kind of Flash of Two Worlds.
0: Oh, that'd be an interesting or something. Or, or and you know homage. the fact that and the fact that Dan Abnett's writing it is a good thing. I, I've loved the stuff that Abnett's done. He's done a lot of great stuff recently, uh, specifically with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I think uh, his run was kind of what they took the uh, mo- what they sort of based the movie off on the sort okay. of feel of that. So that was kind of neat. Cool. Um, do you want to do the next one
1: sure the next one is the new teen titans written by marv wolfman with artists nicola scott and mark deering and colorist jeremy cox and the solicitation reads titans together fighting against the might of the tangent universe's doom patrol we are reminded why this is the greatest titans team of all
0: Mm-hmm. This one looks good. And, you know, I, I'm glad to see that Marv Wolfman's coming back, writing a Teen Titans. That'll be interesting to see. Uh, the solicitation page that they've got looks like it's sort of the classic Wolfman-Perez Titans with uh, Nightwing, uh, Changeling, uh, Donna Troy, Wonder Girl, Starfire, Cyborg. I guess that's Jericho, and I don't know who the, the girl is in the image. I
1: was going to ask you. I Yeah, I'm not... I'm she think- looks familiar, but I, I can't think of the name.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's kind of a relationship to Jericho, but I'm, I'm not exactly certain. Unfortunately, it's been a long time since I've read any Titans. Tom Panarese, if he's listening to this, could tell us, you know, right off the top of the bat, but...
2: Cole. Her name is Cole. Jericho was her Snuggie Bear until Marv Wolfman and George Perez destroyed everything with the Crisis Reboot. Excuse me. I'm going to go burn my comics because they're absolutely worthless now.
0: Yeah, again, but it says fighting against the Doom Patrol, so again, the tangent characters are sort of being developed as the foes here, which you know, take that as you will. Maybe that'll be one of those things where they fight initially and then team up at the end, but yeah. looking forward to that.
1: And not to spoil ahead, I guess, but this... Given the ramifications of the issue we're about to talk about... Mm-hmm. This could be interesting.
0: Ah, uh, yes, it kind of could.
1: Now that, that now there. that
0: now that now that you know just well, we'll get to that by the end of the show. But right. yeah, that is interesting.
1: And the last one is Justice League of America, written by Fabian Nicieza with art by Chris Cross and colorist Snakebite Cortez. Mm-hmm. Apparently yeah, a uh, refugee from a Quentin Tarantino <laughs> western. <laughs> but the solicitation reads: With their heavy hitter sidelined, elongated man must reach the much maligned Detroit Justice League against the overwhelming power of the heroes from the tangent universe.
0: Now, this looks like it could be a lot of fun, you know, because I'm I'm a big fan of the elongated man. It'll be interesting to see the Detroit League and how they work out, because uh, the. The image they have of a uh, up here is a stretched out, elongated man uh, working in, I guess, the Detroit era gym, along with Vibe, Steel, and Dixon in the background. So, Vibe is going to be in a book. So, uh, either get excited about that or or not.
1: <laughs> I know that Emily, uh, host of the uh, Uncovering the Bronze Age and co-host of Shortbox Showcase, is very much looking forward to this book.
0: Uh- I'm interested to see, you know, because unfortunately, I don't think we've seen Ralph Dibney in the New Fifty Two. Elongated Man isn't anywhere to be seen, and that's kind of disappointing because we've seen a lot of members of the Justice League International and the Justice League, you know, pop up. But unfortunately, the Dibneys haven't made it there, so we'll to revisit those characters. But yeah, this is, you know, despite the fact that the Tangent Universe characters are quoted as being foes to the regular characters in the books. It's interesting to see them coming back, and it's going to be neat to see what they're going to be able to do with these characters. Mm-hmm. And they've gotten some good writers with it. Fabian Nicaea and Dan Abnett and Marv Wolfman doing, doing their takes on the characters. It should be a heck of a lot of fun. And right. I'm actually going to have to start go up to my LCS and see if I can add these to my uh, pull
1: list. Yep. And they're, they're all writers and I believe uh, artists that didn't work on The original book so it'll Uh, be interesting too to see you know another wave come in and and get their impressions of the characters
0: yeah the the artists do seem to be some of the newer artists they've got some more classic writers for the stories but uh they are yes definitely writers who've not had any relationship with the tangent universe in fact of all the convergence stuff aside from maybe dan Jurgens and ron mars doing some of the stories none of the other uh people who are doing stories uh, for the convergence line have had really any connection to the tangent universe so no. but yeah that, that that looks like a really looks like a really interesting bunch of comics and yep. I'm I'm excited for it
1: yep and just stay tuned to future episodes because we'll be uh, talking about more details as they're announced
0: mm-hmm but do we want to go ahead and take a look at some uh, feedbacks from some people? Sure.
1: I was just getting ready to 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 mention that. First up is a website comment from Jadeen Dean, who has written into the show a few times. And she posted this in reply to an interview that I had done with Ryan Hughes, who was the uh, – graphic designer who designed the the trade dress and all of the logos for the books we've been looking at uh, a few weeks back when we had our, our skip week so to speak where we didn't release an episode I posted a series of posts on the website looking at uh, some promotional work or some promotional artwork for the shows and some uh, behind the scenes you know, the like the uh, the logo concepts that Ryan came up with, uh, as well as an interview, an email interview that I did with him. But anyway, Jadine's reply was, oh my god, I can't work up any words to this except thank you and multiple oh my gods. I've always <laughs> wanted to know Ryan's thoughts on the tangent designs, and oh dear lord, I didn't expect this to ever happen. Great work, you guys.
0: Well, cool. Thank you, Jadine. Yeah, th- that's all on you, Michael. I mean, you being able to get an interview with this person and it was really interesting finding out how he worked out the designs and what he has to do to make this stuff and the various different designs that he had that weren't really rejected but he didn't uh, put through his uh, to to come into the concept mm-hmm. it was really interesting it's it's made me take a look now uh, a bit more at covers and the design of them. Recently, I was doing a Green Lantern comic, and there was a different design for the logo on it, and that just made me think back to this interview and you know how how people these are kind of unsung heroes of the covers because they give these sort of unique flair to to the look and the uh, feel of the comic. So,
1: well, I'm just really glad that. Ryan took the time to do it because he is very busy with design work. He does. I, I asked him if he had any uh, upcoming work that he wanted to plug, and he sent me like a list of stuff that he's currently working on or that's currently on the stands, including um, that that giant map that DC put out for their Multiversity comic that oh, shows good all the poor. different worlds. And I, you know that alone had to take weeks and weeks, if not months and months, of work to put together.
0: Yeah, I've I've seen that map the uh, the multiperson thing, and that's got to be absolutely insane trying to tie things together and link things up in the way that Morrison set up. I'm certain Grant Morrison in his um, mind <laughs> could possibly work it out himself, but being able to put it down on paper and get it uh, to look cohesive has got to right. be quite an effort. Right. Plus, also, I wanted to. To say this, because of that article, uh, the article that you, uh, the interview, also got mentioned by uh, Comic Book Resources. Yes, and that we got promoted on their page. So that was kind of a, that was kind of neat. I saw you post that either on Facebook or at the at the website, and it, it was neat that we just you know even getting a little mention on sort of what was the Comics AM page of Comic Book mm-hmm. Resources yeah. about the interview. The, they do
1: a week or a daily column, kind of spotlighting various. Links from around the web that are of, of interest, and in.
0: so I—that was just really cool to know that something that you did for the show, you know, that interview got a got a little bit of promotion from mm-hmm. what I considered to be a, a pretty big a pretty big website dealing with a uh, comic book geekery. So that was Definitely. that was
1: awesome. And if anyone found the show through that link, welcome.
0: Yes, we're glad to have you, and you hope we hope that you're enjoying the show. But we also got another email this time out, and this one is from Gene Hendrix, and it's about the Batman issue. And he writes in, he says, Sean and Michael, you know, I was ready not to like this issue as soon as you said it involved King Arthur. I'm a bit of an Arthurian snob. See Hammer Podcast Episode 3. That's that's a very good plug there. Thank you, Gene. And while I wasn't too annoyed, it seemed a bit derivative. Sir William seems to be an analog to Jason Blood. Knight tricked by Morgan Le Fay into being into betraying Camelot turns it on her at the end and is cursed by Merlin for his transgression. And I think that you mentioned in a reply to to Gene that you that you couldn't believe that we didn't even think yeah. about Jason Blood being an analog for this Batman character. But yeah. yeah, that's a good that's a good pickup.
1: I mean, neither one of us are comic book experts, but I think we between us we have enough knowledge that. We we should have picked up on that, and I've been kicking myself ever since that we didn't we mm-hmm. didn't that we didn't uh, mention that. Or yeah, the fact is,
0: Well, and uh, the unfortunate thing is, you know, the demon's kind of a Kirby character, and his creation just you know, unfortunately, my knowledge of the Kirby characters is pretty limited, so oh. it just didn't didn't click with me. But now that Gene mentioned it, and since I do have a general knowledge of it, I was like, yeah, uh, why didn't we pick that up? But he continues on saying, now we just have a magical robot in place of a demon. I would have preferred a more original...
1: <laughs> Ma- well, magical robots. I, I, hmm.
0: Well, you know, that's essentially what he is. It's, well, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a,
1: a, kind of a weird <laughs> phrase in my brain.
0: <laughs> he says, I would have preferred a more original story, but I think that would have just annoyed me. If parts of the story would give Bob Haney pause, then season two is off to a very rocky start. Well... I don't know if Bob Haney would have I I wonder how Bob Haney would have worked something into the Tangent Universe. That would be an interesting
1: concept. Well, <laughs> do, I, do you, I think again, not to spoil ahead, but just wait till later this episode.
0: <laughs> oh my. Uh, that's that's all from Gene. Uh yeah, I will admit the Batman issue was kind of was kind of a down point for this, but uh, from what I've read so far and what we're going to be covering today and what we covered with the Superman issue, things have definitely been looking up. So yes. I don't think that the second run of the tangent line has been as bad. It did just kind of – with the Batman story, I think the Batman story will probably be analogous to the Sea Devil story from the first run, just not really the best bet.
1: Yeah, I mean it. it wasn't the strongest start, but the Superman issue – Got a lot better, the Wonder Woman eh. I, mean, it, I think that one might be closer to the sea devils from the yeah. first wave, but then the two this this episode's issue and and the one we're going to talk about next episode are again back up to the level of the first wave so um, i will I will fully agree with you that,
0: so do you want to go ahead and go into the uh into the uh, the synopsis of the the issue today
1: yes All this right. episode. We are looking, as Sean said earlier, we are looking at Nightwing, Night Force, which was cover dated September 1999 and released. I don't think that's correct. It was cover dated September 1998 and released July 29th of that year for a price of a dollar ninety-five. Creator credits are John Ostrander, writer; Jandercema, art; Gloria Vasquez, colorist; Android, separations; Comicraft, letters. Maureen Matigue, Assistant Editor Eddie Braganza Editor Special thanks to Joe Illidge Tangent, based on concepts by Dan Jurgens And the story is titled Into the Fire In Prague Deidre Day, Lord's Day Rampage, and Star Sapphire Collectively labeled by the media as the Doom Patrol are on the run from Nightwing and hoping to contact an acquaintance of Sapphire who has promised them protection The group is forced to go on the defensive when they run into a quintet of Nightwing agents, but are saved by Meridian operatives Jade and Obsidian, who quickly and brutally do away with the Nightwing agents. At Nightwing headquarters, director Marcus Moore decides to send Carl Walters, a.k.a. Gravedigger, and his group after the Doom Patrol, using a cover story to disguise the fact that they'd worked with Jade on the matter of Power Girl, which we'll be talking about in a few episodes so that Gravedigger's crew doesn't realize they're actually working for Nightwing, who they want to take down, but are actually working for, unbeknownst to all but Gravedigger. Got all that? Okay. (laughs) Moore then pays a visit to the Creeper, verifying that the Dark Circle is still dormant, and that nothing is looming to make them think anything has changed. En route to Moscow, Black Orchid cozies up to Gravedigger, dropping some not so subtle hints that she knows he's playing both sides of the fence. In Moscow, the Doom patrol Jade and Obsidian are led deep within the bowels of Lubyanka prison where they're introduced to the true leader of the Soviet Union, vampire Joseph Stalin.
0: <laughs> it's it's funny but cool. Go on. <laughs>
1: Vampire Stalin tells how he realized that to lead the USSR to its true destiny of greatness, he would need to be undead to exist forever. And while he has allowed others to rule in name, he has been the true ruler all along. He says he believes the Doom Patrol's portents of future doom and says that they can be of great use to one another. Heroes to the last, the Doom Patrol isn't picking up what the Vampiric Commissar is laying down and brace for a fight. Unfortunately, things quickly come to a standoff, as Vampire Stalin uses his speed to take lords hostage. At a train yard outside of Moscow, Night Force meets their contact, Jade and Obsidian, who says they took the Doom Patrol only to find out who was truly running Meridian. And now that Vampire Stalin and his plan have been revealed, they can strike. Beneath Lenin's tomb... Vampire Stalin has begun a procedure to extract the souls of Lords, Star Sapphire, and Rampage in order to feed them to the KG beast, which will in turn make him more powerful. Gravedigger and company interrupt the process and an all-out super Kamehameha 90s-style melee complete with flames, guns, tentacles, wide-open jaws, big screams, and even bigger onomatopoeias begins. Gravedigger and Black Orchid attempt to free the Doom Patrol... But Gravedigger is pulled into the pit by a Lovecraftian beastie. Black Orchid tries to recover the Doom Patrol's souls, but the spell goes pear-shaped, and she inadvertently melds their souls into one, tying it to the Earth in the process and causing it to become sentient. The excess energy explodes, killing Vampire Stalin, Wildcat, Nightshade, and Obsidian, and sending an electromagnetic pulse across the globe, causing the entire planet to go dark. And worse, from the explosion emerges a powerful elemental being, calling itself the Ultra-Humanite, and saying that the planet is his. Deidre and the surviving members of Night Force pull back and make a hasty exit. And elsewhere, as they lick their wounds, Black Orchid casts off the suggestion that all is lost, saying that what has been made can be unmade. And she's going to make sure that happens, personally
0: very good synopsis or especially especially with the bit with the fight i was kind of unfortunately the thing with this is the art again does kind of suffer from being that sort of 90s feel and in the fight sequence it does get a bit difficult to follow Mm -hmm. but this was this was a great book uh, along the lines of the original nightwing of the first way to tangent comics it's very dense yes um Ostrander did a great job of weaving the supernatural elements into the book in such a short amount of time. If there's one thing I could fault for the book is the fact with the shorter page count the last Nightwing book, it makes it a little bit difficult to get all of the plot elements put in but I think Ostrander does a really good job with uh, tying together the characters and tying the story into it. So I, I enjoyed it and how can you not like Vampire Joseph Stott? <laughs> that is just awesome.
1: It's it's a very Haney-esque concept.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is kind of Haney-esque. I never really... And I'm glad that you know, you know we were able to tie Bob Haney into the mm-hmm. story as well. Um, what do you think about
1: it? Well, one thing, kind of playing off of what you said, one thing I found interesting is that both this issue and the Nightwing issue from the first wave had really strong openings and closings, but kind of dragged in the middle. And we'll get into it more in a page-by-page, but parts of this felt like it just wasn't really necessary or that... Ostrander just didn't have enough room to really uh, expand on it like he wanted to. Um, Two parts, especially, the check-in with the Creeper, who I thought was killed in the last issue anyway, Mm -hmm. and then the dialogue between Black Orchid and Gravedigger on the way to Moscow, which kind of turns out to be pointless since Gravedigger was killed by the end of the issue, and there was never any follow-up on that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah
0: there are some things that are that are kind of seated in the issue that don't really play out, so it it doesn't feel disjointed, but I think Ostrander just wanted to have you know I think if Ostrander would have had the thirty eight pages that he had, the bigger storytelling arc that he would have had from the first issue, I think this would have worked a lot better it could have expanded a lot of things that I think Ostrander wanted to get out, but still a good story
1: I wonder, and I have nothing to back this up, but I wonder if maybe early in the planning stages, they weren't planning on having the longer issues. And then they had to shrink them down because the Superman issue kind of felt the same way. Like they just needed more room to expand on it. Um, I think the Batman one, maybe a little bit, not as much, but a little bit.
0: Oh, the Batman one felt a little, the Batman one felt a little padded with the sort of Arthurian legend going on and having to harken back to that. And the Wonder Woman one, I don't know what Peter David would have done. He would have just done more philosophizing. But I think I think this, I think you're correct. In the Superman and Nightwing book, I think they would have succeeded much better if they would have had the extended page count right. rather than the, the regular normal page count of your average comic book. But yeah. that's neither here nor there.
1: But I really liked it. I like all the double operative stuff, even though I think it might be confusing to someone coming in cold. Um, you know, it I don't know. I, I I did like it a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. Same
0: here. It's it's interesting to see the the mystical characters, and we're also getting an expansion of the difference between the Meridian group, which is the European faction of this magical group, versus the Dark Circle and the operatives of Meridian here in Jade and Obsidian. So it's it's interesting to see these groups that are supposedly working against their groups teaming up together to try and overthrow both of them. So it's right. it's an interesting concept of it's got not only the supernatural element, but the sort of spy James Bond type element as well. So it's a good story.
1: You talked about the art. I thought the art was a little bit toned back from the previous. I mean, it's mm-hmm. still very 90s in many ways, but it's not quite as hyper-stylized as the, the previous ones. But still... I, I, it, it is very 90s.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. It's not – it doesn't have that over-the-top 90s feel. Uh, Drosema has toned it back a lot. But in some ways, there are some elements that just don't work for me. And I'm certain we can get to that when we get into our specific notes oh, by definitely. page by page.
1: Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come back and actually get into the page.
0: That sounds great.
1: Okay. <laughs> this is a job for Superman. Up, Up, and Away, the weekly podcast dedicated to anything and everything Superman. Join me, Mari Benessi, as I explore every aspect of the Man of Steel's history from comics and movies to TV, radio, and more. It's all here on Up, Up, and Away. For more information, visit upupandawaypodcast.tumblr.com and upupandaway.podomatic.com
2: Hey kids, do you like comics? Uh-huh. Do you like Iron Man comics? Uh-huh. Do you want to learn more about Iron Man's downward spiral from alcoholism, fear of commitment, and feelings of inferiority leading the egomaniac into a life of misery? Uh, what? Then listen to the Invincible Iron Cast Classics Edition and see Tony Stark go from Genius Billionaire Playboy Philanthropist to Genius Billionaire Playboy Philanthropist. With awesome weaponized armor! Relive classic stories like Demon in a Bottle, Armor Wars, Doom Quest, and more. Hosted by me, Mike Staley. So how about it, kids? Do you want to listen to the Invincible Ironcast? Uh Uh-huh. Well, too bad. You need to do your homework. Uh The Invincible Ironcast Classics Edition. On iTunes or at invincibleironcast.podbean.com.
1: back and we're gonna start with the cover of this bad boy Mm -hmm. Um, and my only question is why is hex here on the cover of all the members of night force he's the one we see the least in the issue so it might have made more sense to have Gravedigger out here
0: yeah and he really
1: does the least
0: uh he's only there as sort of a person to keep the portal open at the end of the show and sort of talk smack to uh uh to Nikki or to uh wildcat wildcat yeah so uh Uh, I I like the fact that we've got uh, Black Orchid on the cover and she looks actually, she looks less stylized than the way Drisema drew her, especially in the first Nightwing book. She actually looks like she has internal organs. Her waist isn't so small you can fit her hand around around it. And uh, the inclusion of Jade on the uh, cover is really nice. And I want to know a bit more about her because Mm. as we get into the book, we'll see things that might seed her having a relationship with another Tangent character, maybe. But uh, overall, well, that's that. that's that's one thing that I kind of picked up. But we'll talk about that once we get into it. But it's, it's a decent enough cover. But yeah, um, having Hex on the cover doesn't really – it doesn't diminish the cover, but I don't see him as being the standout character from this right. book.
1: I really like the character design on Jade. Um, for those of you who don't have the issue, she's got – uh, a dragon tattoo that winds up her arms and and down her right leg, and um, as we see on the cover and inside, she can kind of bring this to life or, or manipulate it somehow, um, a lot like the tattooed man in the DC Comics universe, mm-hmm. and, and use that as weapons. But um, she's Chinese, and she her her dress and earrings are are kind of elegant and ornate, and it, it's just a very interesting looking character. And, and even though we don't learn a whole lot about her inside like Sean, I wouldn't mind seeing more of her and, and learning her background and such.
0: Mm, well, and I also like the fact that she's teamed with Obsidian and in the tangent universe, you've got Jade and Obsidian working together as well, <laughs> yeah. despite the fact that they are vastly different characters. Yes.
1: So getting into the book itself, uh, page two, I, I was really happy to see the doom patrol again. I wasn't expecting that, especially in this book, even though it made sense within the story. Um, I, I i like the idea that nightwing believes their claims that they're from the future and is now hunting them down which is a very natural way to fold them into the the wider tangent universe
0: i agree with that it's good to see that after all the events of the initial doom patrol issue that the doom patrol is still active in the tangent universe i will admit it's a kind of jarring the uh the difference from Sean Chen's very clean, almost Dan Jerkin' style of drawing the Doom Patrol to Jan Jasema's style of it. Mm. This page is kind of it's kinda of, this is where the art kind of gets a little wonky. Uh, Firehawk in the foreground looks like she's kind of been pasted in. Looks like she's sliding into first page. I was just
1: looking at that, yeah. And
0: uh, you know, the positioning of her mom, of Deidre, running in there looks like she's sort of supposed to be in front of her, but she's I mean, she looks larger than Lourdes, but she looks like she's supposed to be behind her, and the positioning of Star Sapphire's leg—her her her right leg just looks really, or I'm sorry, her left leg just looks really extended from like the knee down. It's it's not the best artwork by Daisenma. It's kind of hit and miss, well, and I think I think it may be spe- spe- specifically because. I enjoyed Sean Chen's artwork on the Doom Patrol and seeing it transferred here. It's just
1: a little jarring. And and look at her right leg. Her knee is all the way down by the, like where the, her ankle on her left leg. Mm -hmm. That's a huge thigh. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's just, it's kind of wonky artwork there.
1: Okay. I'll give you that.
0: And, well, yeah. It, it, it could be worse. It's not. It's not that it's bad, but it's just a little off in places. Yeah.
1: Uh, page four, we have bat wings, and at least they aren't bat arangs.
0: <laughs> oh lord, that was such a goofy pun and the Wonder Woman thing. But we've seen this uh, used before, I think. Um, Did we the bat, uh, the bat wings? I think didn't uh, Hex use it once in the. Uh, Last Nightwing issue, where he used it to cover up the uh, what was it? The not the eye of Amakado, but the he used it during the attack on the White House, where he used it to cover up the oh uh, one of the eyes and one of the wards that they had protecting the White House. I could have sworn that he did, or I, at least something
1: like that. I'm glancing through the book right now. I don't remember that, but you you could be correct.
0: Okay, well, if uh, if I'm wrong, it wouldn't be the first time. But this, I, I like this page because here, Star Sapphire looks a lot better. Uh, um, yes, Dursima's done done a good job, and she again, I think Dursima's gotten a better, better like to and you know, a better working of the female form. I will admit that the Nightwing operatives, again, this is a few years before Men in Black are not men in black but the matrix but they do have a very matrix feel to them and yes. you know the, that third panel where they're all standing side by side just reminds me of oh um what's his name Elrond from the Lord of the Rings and all the guys standing there looking at Neo so
1: and you were correct by the way he did use a bat wing in the first Nightwing
0: issue okay well there you go I was correct so there's there's score one for me in the uh there you go <sighs> um I was
1: actually thinking those were maybe some sort of weapon developed by uh, Nightwing because they are in the same shape as the little symbol for Nightwing, mm-hmm. but perhaps they are just like a common weapon in the Tangent Universe.
0: Mm, well, uh, you, since since Hex and uh, Gravedigger and oh, all those right. are
1: operatives of Nightwing,
0: Duh. they probably have access to it, but they're using it in a, in a way to sort of foil Nightwing, since they're right. working against Nightwing, so okay. it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for them to have access to this weapon.
1: True, I Not thinking clearly today. Not a- <laughs> um, page five. A minor note, but I like the way the page was illustrated with Jade and Obsidian, each being showcased in their own panel. It, it's a small point, but I think the natural way to illustrate it would have been you know one big panel with both characters, but this way both characters get more of their own spotlight.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it looks like they're they could be in the same panel but it's sort of being shown from the they look like they're opposed to each other. Like one is on the right side of the screen mm-hmm. and one is on the left side. So the Nightwing operatives who are seeing them see them, you know, have to look left and right to see them. And they're they're really unique characters. Now, uh Obsidian looks very vertigo. He's got a very goth feel, all Sort of skinny and slouched and dressing in black, which which works for the character. And I think we describe Jade on the front cover as mm-hmm. being a very Asian looking person with this very ornate tattoo scrolling around her arms and her right leg and the uh, obvious Asian dress. It's 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 really good design here, and this yes. is where Dersama's art really
2: shines.
1: I think, and they they work well together visually. I think, mm-hmm. even though they're completely different design. Oh yes. Uh page 6 we get some slight hints of the wonder twins when they activate their powers.
0: <laughs> yeah, I li- I uh, like the fact that they have to you know sort of talk to each other uh when they're activating the powers. It doesn't seem that they need to work in ch- conjunction as the way no, the twins just the do way but they, you know. Yeah, that that they're they're working together. Yeah at the same time to release their powers i like that and i i'm glad that the that the gore is just kind of hinted at yes. with just a bunch of onomatopoeia <laughs> in, including the wolverine snicked so that's that's uh-huh. nice to see in there
1: i might actually scan this page and post it on the facebook page because there are a lot of onomatopoeia on here <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, seven different onomatopoeias in yeah. one uh, three-quarter page splash,
0: and it and it does give the idea with the onomatopoeia and the sort of silhouetted uh, you know background of the characters flying around that there's some horrific things going on. Yes. So I, I I like that the book can convey that without having to be gory or gratuitous,
1: right? Um 8 and 9 is where we get to visit with the Creeper. Did you have anything before that? Uh,
0: Not really. Okay.
1: Um, And maybe this will come back to play in a later issue. I don't know. I I hate to be negative, but I, I just feel like this was a wasted couple of pages because I don't understand how any of this did anything but reference stuff from the first Nightwing issue that didn't come into play here.
0: Mm-hmm. All it is is covering that dark circle stuff which we really haven't had any mention of or any relationship to.
1: in the in the back matter, it does sound like there were initially more plans for the dark circle in this issue, but if that was excised, I don't know why this was. I, I don't know I, I just I just hate to be negative. but
0: well, and uh, I, I would have to sort of agree with you the as, as for as I from what I recall, the creeper was supposed to, you know, Marcus Moore essentially absorbed the soul of the Creeper, and I was under the assumption that that meant he was out of the picture; he was right. dead. But now I guess he's kind of a zombie slave to Moore, as Moore was sort of a slave to the Creeper when he had his soul. So I don't get it, but yeah, I agree. The these these pages feel somewhat unnecessary in the book.
1: Actually, I just thought of something. That there is one other reason that I will get to in a minute.
0: Maybe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: Um, but moving on to 10 and 11, another scene I think that could have been excised or at least rewritten since this is our introduction to the, the characters in this issue. Uh, but I do like how these pages show how the characters have moved forward since we saw them last because you know we learned that Black Orchid is starting to, to catch on to things and we see somewhat how the other characters relate to one another so it it does give us a sense of maybe not a serial book but but at least how they're working as a team over a period of time mm-hmm. it,
0: it does it definitely advance the characters a bit more from the initial nightwing book which is which is nice because we haven't been able to see anything like that up until now right. um it is kind of awkward that you get the sort of Kitty Pride type feel with, uh, with a Wildcat and her affection towards yeah. Grape Digger. I don't know exactly how to feel about that,
1: but whatever. Well, I mean, I don't think it's uncommon for teenagers to have a crush on older men. The, the weird part would be if he was acting on it.
0: Yes, I would agree which with there's that.
1: there's no sign at all that he is. So. No,
0: and well, you know, he's they they mentioned that he's rescued her in some sort of way, that uh she was captive, and I guess we'll be getting that once we get to the Power Girl book. But um it'll be interesting to see what went on with that. Yeah. But yeah. Again, a bit of stuff that really didn't necessarily need to be in the book, but it's just nice to see some little interaction between the characters.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I did I did like seeing how they're they're working together as a team now compared to the last issue, so mm-hmm. um, moving on to page thirteen, If anyone tells me they'd read the twelve issues we've covered so far before this one, and we're expecting a vampire Joseph Stalin, I'm going to call him a liar
0: <laughs> yes, this was <laughs> I mean, when i when I saw this page, I was like, "Oh my God, this is the most ridiculous thing I have seen in these comics so far, and perhaps the most awesome thing. Yeah. Uh,
1: When I said it was Haney-esque, I I say that with love and affection for the work of Bob Haney.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, there's nothing here that is bad about this. This is just something – this is a concept that I don't think anyone – in the right mind could have come up with but it is just so incredibly ingenious that it works into this if you're if you have a universe where magic and possession and being able to suck souls out of people can happen having the leader the infamous leader of the soviet union being a vampire and being behind the Soviet Union for all this time is a perfectly good story element, yeah. and I love it.
1: My, my, my initial reaction was that it didn't really fit the tone of the Tangent universe as it's been presented to us so far. But on the other hand, the the second wave seems to be kind of stepping outside of that m- maybe not more realistic but but kind of natural-feeling universe that the first wave created because we've seen – You know, alien space warriors and a a cursed knight from medieval times. So Vampire Joseph Stalin seems kind of a natural progression from that.
0: Well, and like I said, in the Nightwing books, they're dealing less with the scientific nature of the Tangent Universe or with the mystical one. So I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be opposed to the fact that they would deal with something like vampirism or you know, uh, the character of uh, Wildcat being sort of a lycanthrope character. So having those sort of supernatural elements in this book I think fits really well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so then over page 14, the Doom Patrol squares up to fight <laughs> Vampire Stalin, which is, just sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> but Stalin takes him out no problem, and I do like that this book – constantly keeps you on your toes by, by turning over what you think is going to happen. Between all the, the double operatives and the switching alliances, it it makes for an exciting read, and, and if they could maintain that kind of thing on an ongoing basis, I think it would be a really good uh, monthly book.
0: I agree. I, I like the fact that the Doom Patrol was essentially after they had done their deed to sort of save the planet they wanted to figure out what was going on with the Soviet Union and they had heard tale possibly that Stalin was a vampire and they decided that it was their job to take him out so I like the fact that this heroic group from the future is here to try and right wrongs and I I, I agree it was kind of unexpected to see the Doom Patrol here to do this but I, I like the fact that they are here to do this yeah
1: uh, page 15, I I don't know how Jade and Obsidian got to this train yard so fast, because this all seems to be taking place concurrently with the other pages, and, and they're on those pages.
0: Um, magic? <laughs> Why not?
1: <laughs> Wibbly, Wibbly-wobbly-tangent-wimey?
0: Yes, exactly. Um, Here was the thing that kind of made me assume that there might be a connection between Jade and another character. On the fourth panel here, you see Jade talking to Arlette and talking to Black Orchid and saying, you know, in in the panel before, she says, to serve a deeper purpose, to learn a vampire runs Russia and Meridian. And she says, but I serve life, as does my sister. Look into my eyes and you'll know the truth. Now, it's that line, as my sister, that kind of makes me wonder is Jade in some way related to the Green Lantern? Oh. You know, because there was mentioned that the Green Lantern is supposed to be an Asian character. Now, through, you could kind of, I think we discussed that we could kind of see that when we were talking about the initial Green Lantern book, but the fact that these two characters have sort of mystical elements behind them, it makes me wonder if Jade is in some way related to Green Lantern. And this little dropping of this one line kind of uh, just puts that thought in my head.
1: That's a that's a, I didn't pick up on that, but that's a very good call.
0: Yeah, I like I said, every once in a while I do do that. Um, I don't have any notes until the the fight sequence.
1: Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, page sixteen. This is what I was talking about earlier. This might be one of the reasons we were introduced to the creeper earlier because as they talked about in the last Nightwing issue, if Meridian and Nightwing are kind of uh, parallels and Vampire Stalin and Marcus Moore are parallels as leaders of their respective groups, then the way it's described here, the KG Beast and the Creeper would be parallels because both feed on souls and use that power to serve their individual group. Hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I could I could see I could see the parallels between those two groups and those uh characters there. That's a nice catch, yeah. Uh,
1: but yeah, not a lot to say about the fight, other than this is where the 90s flavor the art really kicks in. You've got explosions and tentacles and guns and wide-open mouths. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: the, this is where I think the art sort of just kind of didn't do it for me. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a lot of shoutiness, and I'm looking here on page 19 with with a gambit. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not gambit. That's hex <laughs> just with his mouth wide open and tentacles and bats and souls forming together. It's, it's all kind of a jumpy mess that sort of just culminates to on page 20 where it's just a bunch of weird scenes, onomatopoeia and explosions. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like Michael Bay essentially <laughs> said, you know, that someone, Tapped into Michael Bay's brain and put it down on this page, and this is what happened. So,
1: and those last couple panels aren't really even drawn as as much as just like ink splotches.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't even notice until you sort of mentioned it that that third panel there is supposed to be obsidian sort of blowing up. Yeah, uh, you know, I I I was like, okay, there's a face there, but who is that? So, it's. Kind right. of hard to figure out what's going on.
1: I assume it's supposed to be obsidian. I don't. Know. I don't know who else it would be. Yeah, but
0: because because obsidian doesn't make it out. It's right. only you know uh, hexarlet. You know jade and who else? And I think that's it. Oh, and Doctor Day. Yeah. So
1: I, I did like on page twenty one. We see one at the bottom. We see one of Day's robots, which is mm-hmm. a nice kind of Easter egg style callback to the the Doom Patrol issue.
0: Yeah, I think this is supposed to be what happened in either New Atlantis or whatever, because we see up in the uh, top of that panel a, a ad or the uh, name brand for Brand Industries. So I'm wondering if this might be what happened in New Atlantis when the EMP hit. Mm,
1: could be. They're just showing you know, that the one caption says London, New York, and New Atlantis, so they're just showing stuff all around the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty two. I, I you know I mentioned this last episode or the. In the Superman episode, but now we see it in full. I love the design of the Ultra Humanite. It's just so different from anything else we've seen in the Tangent Universe. It looks big and threatening, uh, not in the traditional sci fi or comic book way, but in a way that is very much both.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It does have very sci fi elements. I like the fact that it looks like an empty suit of armor with the. With sort of lightning bolts, energy crackling where the exposed portions of its body would be, it's got a very manga type, uh, shogun warriors type head or headpiece. There, it's a really neat design. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whoever came up specifically with the design of the ultra humanite, you know, deserves a lot of credit because it's a it's a nice amalgam of science and sort of asian design and just really neat comic book design as well
1: yeah um but 23 you know i'll say the tangent books have a distinct advantage over regular monthly books from dc or marvel in that they are a contained universe you know they don't have to worry about publishing another issue next month or or the month after that but while that gives them certain luxuries and allows them to do some things that DC and Marvel couldn't do with their characters, or at least couldn't do on a on a regular basis, I guess. At the same time, it's it's got to be in the back of their mind that this is the second go-around with these characters. So a third wave couldn't have been out of the question. And they just killed six characters, five of whom had appeared before. Mm-hmm. And you've got to respect their willingness to take a chance and do that. And, and, you know, knocking out power across the planet is one thing, but killing off five central characters is very much another.
0: Yeah, and especially that we don't get any – or, or we're, we're assuming that we don't get any resolution to it because, unfortunately, there's not a next Nightwing book. Maybe this will be addressed in later issues in the tangent run. But, but yeah, that's a very bold move for them to take some major characters and kill them off in this one book and not have any repercussions for it later on. Uh, that That's – that's something that you you'd have to follow up with in in a comic book that was continuing on and the fact that they do this in a book where it's just a one-off is is really pretty groundbreaking i would have to say
1: that's all i had
0: same here i i enjoyed it i think john ostrander and jander have done a really good job the artwork wasn't as good at in places uh with the characters as it was in the original nightwing book but in some places it was much better uh the story of course by ostrander was great it it there were those elements that felt like there could have been a bit of trimming and elements that didn't feel like they necessarily needed to be there but overall i think this was another great story in the second wave of the tangent books well almost as good as the superman book i would say
1: um, I'm not sure I'd quite put it that high personally, but I, you know, as we talked about, I'm I'm a huge, huge fan of that Superman book. So, but no, it it, it was a return to form, and I, I feel like, um, you know, even though as we talked about earlier, we the, it did kind of get off to a rocky start with Batman, and, and Wonder Woman was kind of meh. It it does feel good that the, the second wave books are picking up again. Yes,
0: and like I said, you know, we we got to return to the first wave characters in this Nightwing book and coming uh, next in 2 weeks we're going to have a return to another character from the a Tangent, yep. the first wave of Tangent books, as we're going to be returning to the character of the Joker and I can't wait to look at that because yes. the Joker was one of my favorite books from the uh, first run.
1: So it was just so fun.
0: And and the next one looks to be uh, really fun as well. So hopefully you guys will be coming back in a couple of weeks. Do we have anything else we want to talk about before we head out?
1: I think we're good.
0: Okay, so next time out, we're going to be covering the issue of The Joker's Wild, which has nothing to do with the uh, game show. So if you're... <laughs> If you're looking to us talking about that, you'll be sadly disappointed. I'll have to
1: find another podcast.
0: But if you're looking to us talking about a comic book about the Joker, then you're, and then you should show up here in a couple of weeks for the next episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.
1: Bye, everybody. You've just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Engel.
0: The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes.
1: It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one every review helps more people find out about the show
0: the show is also on facebook where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted plus images plot elements and general discussion about the books can be found there as well
1: want to send feedback about the episode send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com all feedback is warmly welcomed and we will definitely read your comments on the show
0: when Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman.
1: And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com.
0: Speaking of 2 True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at 2 After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the 2 True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters.
1: Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast.
0: Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know
2: the names.